as we look into his word. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would reveal your word to your people this morning and help us to put off the old self and put on the new self. Help us to strive with the strength you receive from your spirit to walk in the way of love, to imitate Christ Jesus our Lord and to be a fragrant offering that is indeed pleasing to you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. It reads, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any uh, obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you by empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. One of the things that make Christianity unattractive to, um, to outsiders is, be- is uh, because of how Christians live. It's one of the factors. It's not the only one. But it makes a significant difference how Christians live especially when others who look in at the church and wonder. Every day we read in the news about the corruption of public officials who are being given platforms after they have been found to be corrupt, are given platforms at churches and are defended by them, often on ethnic grounds and not on any religious affiliation. Every day, we read about Christian leaders being accused of taking advantage of uh, of their people or swindling them off their money. Every day, we read about Christian leaders who abuse their members for their gain. But what is worse among all of this is... We re- is us hearing and reading about, about leaders or Christians who fall to sexual immorality. And what makes these stories so um, attractive, what makes them make news, is because of, uh, of sexual immorality itself. It is often that these men or women are being accused that they have not come up and confessed themselves. 
often these acts have taken place uh, a while ago that this leader has stood in front of the people of God and preached holiness when he knew in his heart that he himself was unholy, was doing something sinful. That is why this make the news. And, 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 and people put these stories up on newspapers because they are an example that say, look at the Christians. Look at them. Look at their hypocrisy. Look at their lives. Compare them with Jesus Christ. And what they are seeking to do with that is to separate Christians from Christ, is to separate what Christians speak about from the person and work of Christ. I think this is why Paul warns the, uh, the readers many times about Christian immorality, about sexual immorality. He warns them many times as this, as this is, particu- is a sin that grips um, uh, non-believers and believers alike and takes them back to unbelief. This is why Paul would even say in the book of uh, Ephesians that not only are we, are, we not to, are we to stay away from sexual immorality, but we must not even associate ourselves with those who are sexually immoral. The end there in verse 7. These people who do this thing, let me read at verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words because of such things the wrath of God comes to those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Uh, just a brief overview from what you've seen in the book of Ephesians so far. We are back in our series in the book of Ephesians, and we ended at the end of chapter 4. Chapter 4 from verse 17 begins, a, there's a transition, where from chapter 1 to chapter 4, verses 16, there's been talk about theology. There's talk about what we should believe. What you should believe about ourselves, the fact that we are blessed by God, we are chosen in Christ, we have done nothing, chapter 1, but because of what Christ did at the cross, we have been accepted, adopted into God's family. Then we saw chapter 2 and 3, that we have been made into this community, the church, that is a, uh, it's meant to be an example to those around, but it's also meant to be a place of mutual encouragement among believers, a place of uh, sharpening one another, of, making, of, of, uh, of encouraging one another, of exercising our gifts in chapter 3. And in chapter 4, we saw that now that we have experienced all of this, now that you have been gathered, Jew and Gentile, you are being told, and this is how you live. This is how the Christian life looks like in light of what God has done. Verses 4, 17 to 25. It says, Therefore you live according to your new humanity, according to your new humanity that has been redeemed by God, not according to your old self. Therefore you put off sin 
You put off greed, impurity, corruption, deceitful desires. And then you put on righteousness, holiness. And then you saw verses 25 to chapter 2, to the end of chapter 4, 5, specific exhortations about our old life and the new life. We are told, for example, that now we are not to use our mouths to deceive one another, but rather to speak truth to one another. We are not to use our hands to steal and take from others, but but instead to work and, and, and give. We are not to harbor hatred for one another which divides us, but instead we are to forgive one another. So we are continuing now in that same um, uh, mode of application of what this is what the Christian life looks like. And Paul gives a command in verses 1 to 2 that covers the whole chapter. He gives the command that we will see later on is the implication of the command has uh, radical implications for our, our sexuality, and then we'll see later on has radical implications for our relationships in marriage. So, what does the co- the command? What does the command say? See chapter five, verses one to two. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In light of everything that Paul has said before about putting off the old self and putting on the new self, putting off... um, Uh, wickedness and putting on righteousness. He says, therefore, in light of all of this, follow Christ's example. That's the main command there. How did Christ live? He loved. He sacrificed. He became an offering for our sins, as we saw, as we confessed earlier in um, Isaiah 53. Know that what we see now, we are being told to walk in the way that he did, to follow his example. This is one and two are saying the same thing there. And I want to just add on the side that whenever you see the idea of follow the example, walk in the way of, um, of someone, Follow my example means Paul says that in, uh, in, in Philippians. And he talks about being content in everything in chapter 4. It always means that the, the, the way of your life, the pattern of your life, is not just on one event, but rather continuously you are repeating following the example. You are walking in this way. Imagine walking here is putting one uh, foot in front of the other and repeating and repeating and repeating and moving closer and closer to where you want to get to. 
What Paul has in mind here is a continuous behavior of following Christ, of of being like Christ, imitating his example. It's not just a one-time thing. Which means, therefore, when he gets to the specific sins that he's going to get to, it, it does not mean that a person who has perhaps fallen into sin of sexual immorality one time and has repented of that will not inherit the kingdom of God and the wrath of God is upon him, according to verse seven, 6 and 7. But it means someone who continuously lives his life as a pattern of his life walks in sin continuously goes back to sin again and again and again because the danger in not saying that is that we can look at these commands we can look at these um, instructions in a, in a legalistic way that I sin once I cannot be forgiven I still once there is no forgiveness for me. But as you saw in chapter 5, just as the thief was told to stop, you are being told as well to stop and walk a different way and turn around. What then is Paul saying in verses 5, in chapter 5, verses 3 to 4? He's saying that imitate Christ in the way of love. Imitate Christ in the way of love. Um, He says this, he puts the the specific example of that is with sexual immorality. Look, let's look at verses 3 and 4. He says, but among you, among you who are different, who are imitating Christ, among you who are uh, different from the Gentiles must not be even a hint of sexual immorality of any kind of impurity of greed because of these because these are improper for God's holy people it says that if you are going to follow the example of Christ among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint means, not even a hint. There must not even be an implication of impropriety. There must not even be an opportunity for those who are outside to see that there's something dodgy here. Do all you can that there must not even be a suspicion that you who profess to belong to God, live sexually improper lives. The reference here of sexual immorality in Ephesians um, and in Galatians and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is always uh, with reference to sex outside of marriage and also sex um, outside your own marriage. So fornication and adultery were put together as uh, sexual immorality. Paul here is saying that there must not even be a hint of this. And then he mentions, he mentions three things there. 
says one, a hint of sexual immorality. There must not be must not be any kind of impurity or of greed among you. What does he mean by impurity here? What he means here is uh, is unrestrained sexual behavior. That is always uh, that is sometimes combined with sexual immorality. It is that which pollutes that which God has ordained, and that it is uh, that is a good thing. Is that which renders that which is pure and holy and good impure, unholy, and would lead to. Punishment from God. This is yeah, is again going back to sexual activity that is not permitted or ordained by God. That is outside the marriage between man and woman that God has ordained. It is going outside of that. You who belong to God, you are going into impure, you are going to that which is impure. Because as we will see later on in verses 3, the reason that is given there is the end of verse 3 is because these are improper for God's holy people. For something to be for, for someone to be holy means to be without fault, to be pure, to be set aside. For God. So therefore, that which is holy, that which is set aside for God, when, it enga- when, when one engages in behavior, in activities that God has not ordained, then they are moving outside of that which is pure. And then Paul does something that you wouldn't expect by, saying, by going further, because you, you expect sexual immorality and impurity to go together. But you don't expect greed to go with sexual immorality. At the end, in the middle of the streets there, he says, of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's people. It is distinguished from the other uh, instructions of, of impurity and sexual immorality by this all here. This is not to say that this is an alternative, but it is a, uh, a, a cascading list going further and further to say that sexual immorality is impure and sexual immorality and impurity is greed. Not uh, as a way that we sometimes use all as, as an alternative to something, to something uh, from the other that I'm going to Joburg or Pretoria. I haven't decided yet. But what you see here is that greed moves, Paul moves from these acts of immorality and uncleanness to the inner part of that. That is Greed. This greed that he's speaking about here is the, 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 the unsearchable desire to have more, even coveting the other person's body for your own 
gratification. Greed is harboring, is wanting that, uh, is wanting for yourself. Greed in money is not sacrificial, doesn't give to the other person. But greed expressed in self and sexual immorality means, says, my pleasure is important. Doesn't matter what God says. My desires are important. What I want is important. Soul be damned. God's word be damned. I have needs and my needs will be met. At the center of greed is self. Wanting to satisfy your own needs, your own desires. Just as one would with money when you are being greedy. You are saying that this belongs to me and no one else. No one else should have this because this is for my needs. So therefore the person who is uh, sexually immoral, Paul says here, is greedy. Because they are disregarding God, they are disregarding the other. And this greed is a form of worship for them. A form of worship for self, of self. A capitulation or giving in to every desire that you want. And verse 5 points to this and says, right at the center of this is not a worship of God, but it's idolatry. Verse 5. Let's look at it um, together. So, Paul continues um, in verses 5 and he says, for for of this, you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person. The parenthesis there says, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Paul says here that sexual immorality is not just impurity that is tainting or messing with that with that, that God has given such as dropping um, dye in water and polluting everything. Sexual immorality is greed. It is a love of self, a love of, of one's own desires, of what they want and not what God wants. And it says sexual immorality is idolatry. It is the worship of that which is not God. Whatever it may be, we often think of idolatry as uh, creating an idol, just as the, the Israelite state, as they were waiting for, uh, for Moses had gone up Mount Sinai. And they said, no, he's been gone a long time. They make an idol to worship and said, this thing rescued us from Egypt. But idolatry is much more than that. As we see in the New, in the New Testament, even in, Mark, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, it says you cannot love both God and money. You either you hate the other and love the other. 
shows that idolatry is in the heart. It is worshipping something other than God. The Israelites replaced that with a golden statue. Others replaced that with, um, I don't know, animals that they worship a certain thing. They, they, they declare that this cow is sacred, or therefore all cows are sacred. It's a form of idolatry. Others replace that with money, ambition. That when you are faced between what God says about that, and with that, whether it's money, whether it's a golden calf, whether it's, a, it's the cow, whether it's your own ambition or, or, or career, you are faced between choosing God and this, you choose this, this thing which is not God. The one who loves God more than the one who loves this thing that is not God more than they love God is an idolater. Therefore, the one who um, wants their sexual needs met outside of the bounds of God means they're not loving God as they should. They're loving themselves more than God. They are governed by their own desires and not by God and his word. Paul continues in verses 4 to say here, not only are you to be sexually pure, not only are you to be free of idolatry, but even the way that you talk about sex should be appropriate for one who belongs to the family of God. He says in verses, um, verses 4, be careful, therefore, not to not only avoid hints of sexual immorality, but stay away from talking about sex in a way that diminishes it, in a way that shows that you do not belong to God, but rather you belong to the world. Verse 4 says, Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. The context here is sex and sexual immorality. Which is why I understand verse 4 to be meaning that the way that you talk about sex, you're not talking about it in an improper way. You know, you know all about that. Because it's everywhere. In the movies, in the series, and even in kids' shows. In advertising, they say sex sells. Paul here says, it is inappropriate for one who belongs to the family of God to use his speech in an improper way, in a way that contradicts who they are. That's not working in the example of Christ. But rather he gives a positive example, uh, a, a positive way 
office. It says rather there should be thanksgiving. What does he mean by this? There should be thanksgiving in their heart. There should be thanksgiving instead of these jokes that are, uh, that are bad, that are unbecoming of those who belong to God. I think for us to understand that is to go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. One Timothy chapter four, verses one to five. In Timothy, uh, Paul warns the church that the time will come where they will have false teachers who will come and deceive them. But instead, they should they should keep to the word of God. They should keep to what they've what they've learned and not stray from it. So he says in verses 1, the Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow the deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such things come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared as with hot iron. They They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So now Paul here says that The time will come when people will say to you, don't eat this and don't eat that. Don't marry. But Paul turns and says, no. These people do not understand that everything that God has created is good if it is received with thanksgiving. It is to be received with thanksgiving, that is. It says, if only in verses 4. Receive it with thanksgiving. What does does it mean by this? Receive it with an acknowledgement that it comes from God. Receive it in the manner that God has intended it to be received. Verses 4, he says in 1 Timothy, For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. By who? Verses 4. By those who know and believe the truth. The the one who gives truth is God. The one who gives sex is God. Therefore, what he says about truth, about sex, should be listened to. And sex should be enjoyed with thanksgiving from God, with an acknowledgement that it comes from the Creator and should therefore be enjoyed in the confines of that which He has ordained. If it is not, there are two warnings as I finish off verses 5 and 6. 
Those who do not, those who follow the way of the disobedient, they will be removed from the presence of God and punished. This is 5 and 6 of uh, um, Ephesians chapter 5. It says, For of this you can be sure, no immoral or impure, greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you but with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. What is at stake here, Paul says, is eternal life. You will not enjoy the, the part of God's kingdom if you are not willing to live as God has commanded. You will not be part of God's family eternally if you are not willing to act as his son did. I've used this example many times. Is that you have been adopted into this family and therefore you seek to imitate the behavior of the family and not act as though you live on the street. That exclusion here, um, that, that the warning of exclusion, goes further that you're not only just going to be excluded from that which is good, but you are going to receive that which is bad, that is punishment. From God, you are going to have to pay for your own sins because you have not followed the example of the one who paid your sin. You are going to bear your own wrath. You're not going to be healed by his wounds, no. You are going to bear the punishment yourself. This is what is at stake with Christian conduct. And the one who continues in sin, the one who does not listen to God and his word, risks being separated from God. The risk being uh, cast away from the presence of God. And with this warning, they are called to repentance and faith in him. They are called to turn to, turn to God in faith. He's still saying what he said earlier, Paul, that the one who stole, let them stop stealing and work and give. The one who is sexually immoral, let them stop sexual immorality, but rather to do the right thing and enjoy that which God has created in the confines of marriage and with thanksgiving for that which is good. This could be applied in all sorts of ways, isn't it? In all sorts of areas. Because Paul has shown us the problem is with our heart, it's not just with sex. The problem is with idolatry that is in the heart, it is loving something uh, more than God. It is wanting for yourself and not for the other. We do that in many ways. 
with our possessions, with our money. And we make them, we, we, we put them in the place of God. That we will do everything to protect them. That we will even disobey God to preserve and protect them. That we would see others struggle around us because we want our own comforts, isn't it? Very similar to the person who is sexually immoral. They want their own gratification regardless of what God says. And at times they want their own gratification regardless of what the other person wants. And God says here, the one who continues in this path, in this path of impurity, of disobedience, risks being cast out of God's presence in paying for their own sin. Let's pray and ask God to help us um, with this. Heavenly Father, our prayer this morning is that we will not be found among the disobedient, that will not be found among those who have been, uh, who, have, who have chosen self over you, who have chosen to worship other gods and not you, Lord. Help us, Lord, help us to love you, help us to worship you, and help us to, uh, to live our lives imitating Christ. I pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.